Lord, we just thank you for this morning. We just thank you that even as we have troubles, um, you give us a way, Lord. And so we just thank you that this morning it may not be perfect and it may not be what we always desire, Lord, but, but the word still goes out. And so, Lord, we just pray this morning that um, your words would flow through me, Lord, that they would not be my words, but your words, Lord. And uh, we just pray that, yeah, just that our, our, our technology just continues to uphold uh, our, our stream as, as we continue. Amen. All right, so starting this morning, um, my, my message is titled uh, Maturity in the Light. And sorry if I'm kind of flipping up and down between the cameras for you guys uh, in different places. It's going to be a little weird here. Um, but yeah, maturity in the light. And, you know, it actually, the, the technology issues that we had really brought to, brought to mind my opening question. And that is, you know, why do we listen to sermons week after week? So why do John and Rich stand up here teaching, uh, preaching? And, you know, I, I guess it comes down to, is, is salvation the goal? And, you know, if that is true, then why would we teach anything further? And um, the obvious answer is no, we are called to much more. Um, salvation is just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, that is a deep relationship with God. And, and this is what Paul is, is really calling out uh, to the Ephesians and, and what we have to learn from this. So, you know, they have been blessed with a new life in Christ, um, but that blessing can only be fully realized when we are walking in God's will. So when we live according to God's commands, we will find that living practically has an outpouring of joy. So we listen, we read, we learn God's commands so that you know, we, we grow daily in our faith, and we make better decisions daily, and we further prioritize Jesus in our life. So, so Paul's theme is spiritual maturity. And he, he doesn't just talk about this in the book of Ephesians. In fact, it's one of his, his major themes in many of his letters. So the word Paul uses for uh, maturity in Greek is teleos. And obviously when it translates to English, it, it comes through as mature, but in, in the Greek it has a much more complete feeling to it. And, and it actually means complete. It means complete in moral character. It means complete in, in, in the growth of something. And it also has this element of perfection. And obviously, Paul is using this word because he's holding up the image of Christ as our example. So Paul uses teleos in, in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 14, Philippians 3, and then also in, in Colossians 1, uh, 28 to 29. And it's in Colossians that we learn why he labors so diligently and passionately on this topic. So in Colossians it says, We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man mature in Christ. 
For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works in me. Now, you'll also remember two weeks ago, Rich spoke uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 4, 12 to 13. And here we can also see Paul uses uh, teleos. So, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until all, we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature to which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So God felt, sorry, Paul felt God's impetus to constantly preach that as Christians, we cannot rest in our salvation. We must constantly encourage each other to walk God's path for us and to grow each season in our faith. As a community, it should be our desire to, you know, present or bring mature Christians before God, not baby Christians who are still in their diapers. Uh, You know, a funny image that Rich brings out, but it's really not that funny in the literal sense of what that means for the furthering of God's kingdom. So if you want to pull out your Bibles or your phones, um, today I'm going to be going through Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. And in many ways, this passage is actually a continuation of chapter 4, where you know, Paul is calling out these practical sins that we are to avoid. He's echoing the Ten Commandments, as Rich pointed out, but they're now interpreted through the covenant of grace and love of Jesus Christ. So he's calling us not to walk in darkness, but to embrace our new light in Jesus and then walk in the light of his teachings and his example. To walk maturely in our faith, knowing the dangers and the temptations of the world, but also the joy and accountability that comes and to which as a community we are called. So as you kind of scan down this passage, you're probably like me, you start reading ahead a little bit, you're going to see some really fun words and phrases like sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, crude joking, drunkenness, and kind of my, my favorite line coming out of this, everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Wow, those are some really happy thoughts. <laughs> so, you know, when I was first reading this passage, I was kind of like struck by this like momentary thought of dread, like, oh great, I get to stand up here and like read some rules and tell people what not to do. You know, why, why couldn't Richard just given me a passage on like, Jesus loves you, you know? You know, so even, even talking to my wife after she asked me, you know, what passage I was reading, she's like... Well, that, that should be interesting. So anyways, but I resolved myself. That's what I was given and, and started asking for a large amount of help from God. Which is a side note, if any of you guys ever want to be encouraged to pray, or just have Rich ask you to preach because you will never pray so hard or read your Bible so diligently as when you realize you have to stand up here in front of the church and, and now the internet. But in any case, so Paul is telling us the rules of expected behavior. So why is Paul telling us these rules? 
Now, any parent will tell you that rules come from a place of love, no matter how much your children may find them restricting. And this is what our Father is doing with us. He loves us, and He wants to ensure that we do not fall into danger or bad habits. So He gives us rules of what we should not do, and then He gives us the punishments if we disobey. But ultimately, He wants us to be above the fallen culture of the world and to embrace the joy that comes from sanctification of our lives and the practical happiness that comes from acting in Jesus' example. So, you know, Paul's an amazing writer, um, but there's no doubt in my mind that he was inspired by the Holy Spirit because no human writer could have packed all the thought and detail and nuance that he has done into this passage. Paul has created a nice spiritual sandwich for us. So you've heard of the Reuben. Well, this is the Pauline. So we have our garnish. It's a little spicy. And then our sandwich is in three sections. We got verses 2 to, two to 6. Sorry, that should be 2 to 5. 6 to 14 and 15 to 20. Um, so the sandwich technique, or it's called intercalation, is, is a technique that's actually used throughout the Bible, but it's actually heavily associated with Mark, who used this technique over six times and with great effectiveness in his gospel. So it's, it's typically associated with narratives, um, where you know, it's a literary device where two stories are combined by splitting one apart and then putting the, the second one into the middle of the two pieces. Doing this as a point of reading interest is only half the point. There, there's always a broader point at stake, something fundamental for the purposes of writing that gospel in the first place. Now, usually this point can be fairly obvious, maybe not on the first reading or the second, but maybe a third. But the main point of using intercalation is that there's an interplay of past and future. So one kind of thing is ending, and then another is beginning. And then it's usually in the middle of the sandwich that explains what we're looking for in the bookends or our bread. And that's what we're going to look at today. So we're going to kind of just start off with our garnish. So verse 1. And right off the bat, Paul just gives us the executive summary and conclusion all in one sentence. So therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now this is the cliff notes of the whole passage. So if you understand this and you can put this into place in your life, you can pretty much ignore the rest of my sermon and enjoy your coffee because that's it. All you and I have to do is imitate God and then remember our status as creation as beloved children. Now as a parent, that's as simple as telling your baby that they just need to do as you do and then remember they're loved. Then just watch them grow up. I don't think there's any parents out there that are willing to try this technique. And we know that as parents this would not work because, one, we are flawed examples. I mean, how often do you have to tell your children, do as I say and not as I do? But it'll also fail because as a baby or a toddler, they are not mature enough to understand the subtleties of this broader statement. 
children need rules. They need specific rules. Then they need to know what the consequences are. And recognizing that, Paul proceeds. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So in these verses, we, we see the specific rules. And again, we see those echoes of the Ten Commandments that, that Rich pointed out. Then there's some very strong Old Testament language of the dire consequences of our disobedience. Now, Paul's not pulling any punches here. And he sets the standard by offering up Jesus as the pure and perfect example to which we will be held. He does not suggest that you minimize your actions or do your best, but states there must be none of these things named among us because they were not named in Jesus. So just as Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, it is not by the actions that we will be judged, but by what is in our hearts. So we're not even to joke about these topics due to their serious nature. And if you're not intimidated yet, he goes on to name that the sexually immoral, the covetous, and idolaters have zero place in the kingdom of Christ. This is some Levitical-level strong language, and I believe Paul's writing this way on purpose. One, he is telling us the rules that we must follow and the consequences of them, but also he's doing this to explain how we are to apply Old Testament covenants to our New Testament life. So remember our sandwich and that we're still talking about our first slice of bread and we're, we're setting up that past. So Paul is using this language to specifically bring to our mind the early days of the Israel nation, their baby steps coming out of Egypt and learning to be God's people. So we're now going to kind of move into the middle of our sandwich, and this is where we're going to find Paul's explanation. Why is he setting up this sandwich? Now, we know that one of Paul's themes to the Ephesians is maturity. So what is he trying to tell us about this topic? Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret." But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. And therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. 
So Paul's starting this section by telling us that the consequences of disobedience is still the wrath of God. So, you know, we know something is going to shift, but Paul is telling us very clearly right at the beginning so that we do not get waylaid or misled that the consequences of sin are still going to stand against us. So we know that's not what's changing. In the next verse, we see that we are not to dwell on the darkness of our sins, but instead to walk in the light of our rebirth in Christ. Now, Paul is encouraging us to walk as children of the light, to see that it's all is good and that is pleasing to God. And this is the seeking and discerning process that is the maturity we desire as Christians. So remember, like, in the Levitical sacrifices, as Paul alluded to in verse 2, the Lord told Israel what was pleasing to him. But eventually, Israel's actions and sacrifices became empty actions without a heart of repentance. A few hundred years after those words were given, we see that this unfaithfulness is about to result in Judah going into exile. And the Lord says to Jeremiah in chapter 14, verse 12, And when they fast, I am not going to listen to their cry. And when they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I am not going to accept them. Rather, I am going to make an end of them by sword, famine, and pestilence. So, so Paul here is, is alluding to that we cannot slip back into the rules and to the letter of the law. And it's not that these aren't important, but instead he's encouraging us to have a mature mindset and look to the light, to look to the example of Jesus. So just as the presence of Jesus exposed sin, it brought people to repentance, so Paul is then writing, as we just saw in verse 13, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, and anything that becomes visible is light. So Jesus wants us to bring him into our life so that he can shine a light on the dark parts of our life. Then, as we walk in his ways and we grow, his light comes through us and will shine at the world around us, exposing not in judgment, but in grace and mercy, to sing of the joy and majesty of our Savior. For as we were once in darkness, now we get to share the light. Now, as I was praying through this passage this week, I was given kind of a, an interesting vision, and it was a, a, a young person, like a, a toddler, and they were on a darkened street jumping from street light to street light. And they were moving along the street, and they were avoiding the darkness, except for the brief moments that it took to, to jump to that next light puddle on the road. I was then shown, in, in contrast, a, 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 an older person walking confidently down that same street with a flashlight. And they could use that flashlight to see in front of them, but also by swinging their light as they were walking, the parts that were to the side of them were exposed to the light. And everywhere they turned, they exposed darkness to the light. 
And I really feel this is a calling from the Lord that we, we too often get focused on just trying to jump from light to light to, to you know, avoid anything bad and just try and get to that next safe piece. But as we do that, we make no change to the darkness around us. I think instead God is calling us to carry his light, to have confidence in his light in us, and to shine it around us as we walk. And in doing this, we are going to expose things that we did not want to see. We're going to expose pain and trauma in the world around us. There are going to be situations that are going to take our our prayer and our sacrifice to help those who are suffering. It will inconvenience us. And that is not a maybe. Jesus promised that if we walk after him, we would be inconvenienced. A couple weeks ago, our cell group started going through the, uh, the sanctuary course. And, you know, one story that just really stuck in my mind is that of the gentleman that was going to AA meetings and then seeing some of those same people at a church service. And, and what struck me was his comment that he would rather go to the AA meetings because their people were more vulnerable. This just pierced my heart, and it's, and it's really been on my mind for, for days, just kind of churning around on how I desire to see the church community as a place where all can be at their most vulnerable and yet supported. The mere fact that we are all gathered here as Christians is a proclamation that we are sinners, that we are flawed. So why do we hide our struggles from those that can help us the most? Paul in in verse 14 says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And I think this speaks to how we need to be ready as a community for what the light might reveal. In those words, there's somewhat an obvious call that those who are struggling in the darkness to awaken and let Christ come and work in you. But I think there's also a second meaning that as a community, we also need to wake up and be listening to the Spirit on who needs a word of encouragement We need to be ready to embrace those moments when someone opens up about their struggles. You may feel surprised. You may feel ill-prepared and untrained. But remember, God placed you there at that time, at that place, at that moment. So just listen. Pray in your head and remember that it is not about you, but about that person and about supporting their vulnerability and their courage to open up. Remember, you don't have to solve their problems. You can't. (laughs) You just need to listen and point them to the one who can. All right, now i got to find an awkward transition here. (laughs) So back to our our last verse, um, where we're talking about a Waco sleeper. this quote is actually not from one book or from two, but instead it's a, it's a mixed quote that Paul's made up that starts with Old Testament phrases that can be referenced to Isaiah 51, 52, Malachi 4, Ezekiel 37, but then it transitions and ends with New Testament phrases to, um, that you know, align with Luke 
and John. And here is the heart that I found for our sandwich, that Paul wants us to transition from Old Testament thinking to New Testament living. And so with this interpretation now in mind, we're going to move to our, our third section, our, our last piece of bread. So look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this section has pretty different language and tone from our first section. So gone are the rules, the threats of demise, and then replacing them is this call to walk in wisdom, to ask the Lord for wisdom, and to know what the Lord has called for our lives. So Paul is calling us to fill our lives with goodness and righteousness so that as we walk in the world, we reflect those beliefs to those around us. If we are filled with wine and crude jokes, then what do we reflect? We are to be wise. And just as we gain wisdom as we grow and mature, so we are to gain in maturity and seek heavenly wisdom to show our maturity, not by just avoiding that which is bad, but by seeking the good behavior that Christ epitomized for us. So I want to put up you know, our two kind of bread slices side by side and just show how this shift that Paul has shown us happens. So remember that the, the middle of our sandwich showed us this transition from Old to New Testament, and that's what we're going to then apply to look at these two sets of verses. So that kind of first section of phrases talks of walking with the Lord. But where we're first shown that unattainable goal of Jesus' example, now Paul teaches of watch, walking in wisdom, of a maturity in the face of the temptations of the world. The second phrases give us specific warnings. So we started with this Levitical tones and echoes of the Ten Commandments. Paul ends with a softer tone and a warning of what will remove us from the paths of wisdom. There is no commandment that says, thou shalt not drink. But he gives us the wisdom of how we are to control it. In our third phrases, Paul speaks of the joy that comes when following God's will, but then expands and speaks of worship and speaks of wisdom of gathering and of joining with the community, a local church that will support our faith and encourage us. And finally, and then, you know, this is really the largest contrast we see where we began with a warning and a threat of consequence Paul ends our sandwich by showing us this new mature template that talks of the thanks and joy that we must have for the Lord's guidance in our life in all situations. So I want to conclude by being clear that 
Paul is not saying that the old ways are bad or in any way made obsolete. But instead, Paul is showing us that as a child grows and transitions from rules and warnings to trust and wisdom, so must we, as growing babes in faith, seek the Lord and walk in the wisdom that he gives us. Many of us are like spiritual teenagers. We know the rules, but the consequences are kind of now calculated, and maybe they don't feel as scary or invoke the same fear that they once did. We desire the responsibility to make our own decisions and then to be trusted by our parents far beyond our experience and our skills. But yet, like the perfect father, God lets us choose to run out our decisions, but then is there patiently time and time again when we need to come back to him. In this passage, Paul has shown us how God has adjusted his parenting style to encourage our maturity rather than our rote obedience. Remember, God has always wanted our hearts to be set on him. This is, this is the, the subtle part of what is in the Levitical passages, is that it was about the heart, not the actions. It just got misinterpreted and lost by the Israel. He wants us to listen to his advice so that he can pour out his blessings on us. And so we must answer and have the maturity to seek the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, to ask for his purposes in our life, to call out our flaws, our sins, and our bad habits. We are blessed beyond measure because we have a living God that lives and breathes in us and with us. He wants us to know his rules, his warnings, but we're not to lean on them or to judge by them, but instead to reach out to him and hear his voice, to know his plans, to embrace his plans, and then to commit and live within his plans. We, we recently just had our, our presbytery and prophetic conference, and during those couple days, we had 30 settings of couples and individuals receive prophetic words about what the Lord has planned for them. If, if we desire to be mature Christians, then we must take the responsibility to understand the importance of transcribing the words, of filling out the new survey, and then arranging to meet with the elders to go over these words. For those that did not receive a word, you know, we still need to have the maturity to embrace the word spoken over us as a community, and then to support those that need help to walk out their words, and then pray constantly for them. To, to be spiritually mature, we need to take responsibility for our actions and our thoughts, repent for our sins, and then actively press onwards towards Christ. We need to be active parts of our church community so that we can grow and be held accountable, so that we can assist others, pray for others, and be open with each other. So how will we know when we're mature? Well, the world would tell you that you will know you are mature the day you realize that your mom knew what she was talking about. But in the spiritual sense, maturity is a process. It is not an end goal. It is something that each day we need to pray for and seek with our actions, lest we become for the Father as a baby who squandered the path the Lord had for us. 
Lord, we just thank you this day for just the words that you've placed in our hearts, Lord, and just for the just for the constant presence you have in our life to bring encouragement, to, to bring path, and to answer our questions, Lord. We just thank you that you are a God of details. There is nothing that is beyond you. There is no detail we can hide from you. And there is no detail of our lives that you don't care for. And so, Lord, we just pray this week that as a community, we, we move forward. As individuals, we go forward, Lord. This, this current culture has so much uncertainty, and the, the future just seems so short. But, Lord, we know that our future with you is long, and it is eternal. And so, Lord, we just rest in you, because we know that whatever may come, you have the strength to give us to get through it. And so, Lord, we just pray this week that you would bless us, that you would comfort us as we need comfort, and give us joy as we need joy. Amen. Yeah, thank you, Alex, for sharing your message. You know, it takes a lot of work to um, prepare a sermon. Uh, In seminary, they teach for every minute you speak. It takes an hour of preparation. So if uh, Alex shared about 30 minutes there, that would be 30 hours of preparation. So thank you, Alex, so much for sharing that. I'm sure he's breathing a big sigh of relief now. Let's give Alex a round of applause for working on that. We're going to have Alex share more regularly um, as we go forward here. But I'm very, very thankful for just his heart, his prayer, and him really working through this passage. It uh, It was a big passage. So, yeah, take to heart some of the things that were shared from Alex. Encourage you to go back and, in particular, maybe... Isolate a particular phrase or thought that really jumped out to you. And uh, Paul is exhorting us towards maturity, and that's what we want. We don't want to back up in our faith. We want to keep moving forward. So have a great week.